Our next guest, Chris Hulk, served for several years as chaplain in the Washington State penal system. I grew up in a lot of churches where it felt anything but but honest, anything but where you could be yourself. And here is a place where people had no choice but to be themselves and were staring at the consequences of the wreck of their life. But I found something in these rooms that clergy call sacrament, mysteries that were that I could feel. The rooms were like closet size, small. The walls were like whitewashed cinder blocks, but they were decorated with graffiti, layers and layers of it. They had invited me to come visit them. Many of these men who didn't have family, they'd come in and they'd almost drop out of their handcuffs and collapse into embrace with me. And we hardly knew each other. And so then in the jail with these guys, it started to become a fellowship, a community that I think I was always looking for. So like we'd sit down at this little lawyer's table, but that little table, it almost functioned like an, an altar. These tattooed men would lay their, their heads on it and they'd weep. Everything that they'd held to themselves, like pain, truth, it's like they just emptied it out. They would open up their hands on the table, like wanting to receive my hands. And I was always surprised at how, at how reticent they were to let go of my hands. As they told these stories, crying, holding my hands, I just remember seeing the long, clear ointment of snot just run straight down into their laps and onto the table between us. They wouldn't even take their hands away to wipe their nose. Like one time I remember this this Chicano gang member's tattooed fist not letting go of my hands after initial prayer and, and keeping an intense, unashamed, sweaty grip. And I never felt a need to slide out of that grip. And I didn't deserve this. But they would just give me the riches of their lives and they'd, they'd cut the visit short and say, I, I think you've got to meet with my cell. He never comes to Bible studies, but I think he'd be down with this right here. He'd like this. A few years into my time here, this became my community. I I started going two, three, four nights a week. And I came in one evening, and the guards at the front desk informed us that there was a new policy, that there was a no-touch policy. And we didn't know how to handle this, because this included the thousands of hugs that men came in to expect in our gatherings. Some confessed to come to our Bible studies just for that embrace alone one hug after another at the door and a guy who I've never met just seemed really eager to be like do I get a hug too these are hardened guys old grizzly men with beards biker types gangster types they just come and just want hugs some would say we just came to get my fix man this no contact policy included how we'd hold hands in a circle that always struck me as really beautiful like a chain linking every race and age and offense we couldn't do that now And even the regular huddle of men when they'd come in at the end and all put their arms around each other and each guy would lay a hand on maybe someone sitting in the middle when they were in pain and and it just looked like these petals of a flower all reaching in and the center of it was this really broken guy who was just sobbing and sobbing in the one place where he could be weak, the one place where he could receive such healthy touch and embrace from everyone else. Now that was all taken away. only thing we could do is uh, a professional handshake upon greeting. Hello? I'd kind of bow. It felt so weird. The facility became a darker place that day. No lie, men became 
slowly more violent. We heard about more fights breaking out, as if it was like men swinging fiercely for some kind of contact. Of course, now if there's more fights, even more clampdown measures were installed. And we were instructed as chaplains to bluntly turn down any advance from any inmate. Because, I mean, the guards, after all, would be watching through the mirrored doors. And we could lose all visiting access if we were found in violation of this. So when, when men came through the door and threw their arms open, men we'd not seen for months and whom we missed, we had to painfully, like, pinch off our, our theology and our, our affection, like, twisting our torsos away from them like matadors before a stadium of security cameras. And I, I couldn't take that really confused, sad look out of their eyes. Then the, the one-on-one visits, that was even worse. In, b- before, where it was a really holy encounter in that room, now we would go to the public visiting space. We would sit with a pane of thick glass between us. Instead of hugging, we'd wave, smile, nod, point, mouth-exaggerated words. They'd pick up the phone. I'd pick up a phone on my side. But lots of the times we still couldn't even hear each other. Phone's not working, we'd mime. Even when the phones did work, everything we said was now taped. It was digitally available to the prosecutors. Their crimes, their pasts, their emotions, even the tones of their voice, anything they would want to talk about, it could all be used against them. And I, I just felt like, wow, the confessional booth is tapped. There were no more tears in these visits. It felt like with the glass, everything was sealed up. They'd have to insist on their innocence, even when looking me in the eye. And during that time, I felt like, man, when hearts don't have a place to break, they become harder. And I watched that. I watched them become harder. Like, goodbyes came much sooner during the visits. And usually they'd end with not some catharsis or blossoming of their heart. It'd just end with a limp, like, unfelt knuckle bump against the bulletproof glass. Laters. One of the guys, the head of the gang, he's someone I've really stuck with over the years, and he's in solitary confinement. So I'm visiting with my friend here in solitary confinement, and there's the glass. I'm worried because he's confirming what I'm watching in documentaries, like, guys lose their minds in here. There's no contact. It's not just like physical love that was taken away in the county jail. He's alone in a 9 by 12 room. Uh, he'd have panic attacks. So I just kept thinking about this pane of glass. What gets through the pane of glass? One of the things that he's asked me to do as his pastor is, can you help me build a relationship with my daughters? They don't know me. One of them, she's four. And can you go build trust with the mom and bring the daughter to come visit me? She's never seen me. So I did that. I found her. We get in the car. We drive for five, six hours across the state. He's, he's really in for a treat to meet what an amazing little girl is his daughter because she's just chatting me up the whole time in the backseat, singing songs. And I would practice with her, You Are My Sunshine. And she just could not remember the words at all. So we just try to sing it over and over and over. We'd pull into the prison. I'd carry her through the, the metal detector. The next automatic door opens. This little girl in pigtails, patent leather shoes, she'd be clipping along the, the tile floor with me. And so we open the door, and she sees her dad for the first time, this guy in a white jumpsuit, velcroed up the middle, tattoos of letters and tears and numbers down his cheeks, the name of his gang straight across his forehead. I mean, something that would be like a terrifying mugshot. But she just, she just smiles, and she just beams at him. And I see him just beaming back, and I'm watching something really beautiful start to happen. Something that 
feels more powerful than that pane of glass. And she'd hold the black receiver like, like it was a microphone. She'd say, Daddy. He'd say, what, mija? And he'd be like, I love you. She hadn't even met him before. And she's, she doesn't judge him. She's not afraid of him. And his face started to get red. And she was really into Justin Bieber at the time. And she'd take that phone and she just started like singing into it like she was Selena Gomez. And her voice is just echoing through the intercom throughout his side of the glass. So he's just like being soaked in his daughter's voice. And and uh, she'd say, what's that song? And she'd forget the words again. So I'd whisper the words. And then she sang, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. Please don't take my sunshine away. And seeing his eyes just wet and seeing his tattoos blurred under his tears. <laughs> That's when I saw that the glass wasn't there anymore. Thank you, Chris Hulk. That story was produced by Stephanie Fu. You are listening to Snap Judgment, and to hear more stories, visit snapjudgment.org.